Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Welcome, everyone. My name is Ryan. I'm a pastor here. There's some new faces, which is always really exciting. Um, Today, we're beginning a new series uh, called Piercing the Veil. So a little bit of a backstory. At the beginning of the year, um, the Lord gave us this vision, telling God's story with everything that we are. And we've kind of been looking at that from various angles. Kind of our first series um, as we were stepping into that was looking at the values of this community. What are the specific themes in how we tell God's story in the way that he's crafted and called us. Um, And then the second series we did was called Love and Translation, where we were looking at how do we tell the story in a way that it meets the 21st century um, in the way that, in the lives of the people around us. And so we're starting this new series called Piercing the Veil, where we're going to be looking at specifically the stories that Jesus tells um, and how those stories uh, kind of testify to the larger story. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I texted my friend Garrett. Garrett, give us a little wave. If you want to know about story, you need to talk to Garrett. He will tell you stories, but he will also talk about them. And I just texted him and said, what is it that's so powerful about story? Why don't we just, why isn't just mere information good enough? How many of you are documentary fans? Right? I mean, sometimes we just want information. We want data. Apparently three of you fall into that category. (laughs) Bunch of nerds. Um, But there's something about story that conveys something that's more than just information, that's more than just data. This week, I I took kind of three nights, because it's very long, to watch Peter Jackson's King Kong from 2005. Anybody remember that one? You probably don't. I, you know, I kind of had forgotten about it. I felt like it wasn't well-reviewed when it first came out. And I watched it in three parts because it was rather long, and I was profoundly affected by it. Now, I'm, most of you know I'm not very emotional, but I was getting teary-eyed with this gorilla. And I'm like, this is silly. It's a computer composite acted out by one of the greatest actors of our generation, Andy Serkis, who also brought to life many other CGI characters, not least of which is Gollum, a.k.a. Smeagol, from Lord of the Rings. <clears throat> I haven't mentioned Lord of the Rings in a long time, so I just figured we need to put that in there. But, you know, it's this three-hour-long film about this giant gorilla who's in love with this woman, and he goes to all lengths to try to, 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 to find her and to protect her, and it ultimately is what costs him his life. And there's kind of that famous line that they brought back in from the 1933 version at the end, that it's beauty that killed the beast. And it was profoundly affecting. And it was more than just if we were sitting at a conversation and we talked about, you know, what is the place for beauty in our lives or should we, you know, be more uh, conscientious when it comes to how we treat animals or whatever it might be, whatever the themes of that film were. But just, it was, it was just such a beautiful reminder to me that story uh, meets us in our humanity in a place that just information can't. And I think that that kind of helps us to understand and frame why it is that Jesus spoke so often in parables. Uh, so today we're gonna, I'm going to be talking about just what the, the parables of Jesus were for, how he approached them and his attitude in, in speaking out those parables. And then over the next 10 weeks, we're going to be uh, looking at those parables uh, specifically um, in what they are there to teach us, what it is that Jesus is trying to explain to us that's more than just conveying information. It's more than just giving us data. Um, 
And actually, I'll go ahead and just mention this up front. We're actually, we're actually going to be creating a reading program for our whole community to go through together. So if you go to citybeautiful.ch slash parables, uh, you can sign up there. And what we're going to do is we're going to send out uh, a recap every Tuesday or so based on whatever the, the, the parable was from the previous week. And then on the Thursday, there's going to be another reflection on another parable that kind of uh, echoes that same theme. And essentially... Uh, we want our entire community to be walking through the parables of Jesus together. We're going to hit most all of them uh, by doing, this, doing it this way. And so I'm really excited uh, just to see how the Lord speaks to us through the parables of Jesus in this season, continually helping us to center on God and his kingdom. And so that's kind of how I want to frame uh, parables right up top. Parables open us up to the mystery of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Parables open us up to mystery. I think that word mystery is so often misappropriated within uh, our modern era that a lot of times mystery gets aligned with ambiguity. And so there's, there's facts and there's clarity, and that's kind of one side, and then there's ambiguity and lack of borders, lack of definition, and that's just the other side. And we choose to live in those things. And so for many of us as human beings, we're constantly looking, how do we get things clear and precise and well-defined? And that's the secret to life. Some of us are actually quite comfortable with ambiguity and just ambling our way through life. And it's something that just tends to happen around us. I tend to find myself more in that latter uh, category. But, you know, a lot of times when we approach this idea of mystery within the Christian faith, we think it means ambiguity. And I don't think that's actually what's really going on there. So there's this really beautiful line um, that Paul speaks in Colossians 2, kind of at the, one of the end of, uh, at the end of one of his poems about Jesus. And he says, my goal, he's, he's talking about how he's praying for all the believers. And he says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I love that, that Paul says that the mystery of God is Jesus Christ, and in Christ are hidden that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So far from being this ambiguity where we just kind of shrug our shoulders and say, well, I don't know, it's a mystery, Mystery for us actually has trajectory and it has purpose. And I was actually, I texted a friend of mine who's a priest in town this week, and I said, when we talk about mystery, what are we saying? And he said, mystery is something that we experience without being able to contain it. And I really thought that was a beautiful uh, definition of when we talk about the mystery of Christ. It's something that we step into, we're immersed in, we cannot contain it. Sometimes we can't quite describe it, but we, we do experience it. It kind of envelops us and it transforms us. And so when I talk about mystery, that's really what I'm talking about. And so we, the parables of Jesus are, are meant to kind of wrap us up in the mystery of who he is and what his kingdom is like. And so uh, parables are meant to illustrate how God is breaking into history as heaven comes to earth. Perhaps you've heard the old adage that parables are, sto are earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. And I, I, I rather like that. I think that that's a good start to what a parable is, that Jesus almost exclusively at times taught through these stories where he was using very normal, mundane objects and moments and events from everyday life. But he was giving them this implication that was a little bit deeper than the surface. 
And I think what Jesus is doing there is kind of answering this question, how do you talk about God and heaven in a language that opens people up to experience it? It's very, again, it's, it was hard to describe. We can sit down and we can talk through all the doctrine of what God is like and what the kingdom is like, but it's the stories of Jesus that actually begin to open us up to experiencing it. And I find this fascinating because I think that Unfortunately, you know, I spent several years uh, in the educational system, and, and by the grace of God, he delivered me from that. <laughs> Testify. And some of you, too, are, st are still there, and I pray for you often. Um, but I think by our modern standards, Jesus is a terrible teacher. Right? Anybody ever been confused by when Jesus says something? You know, we crave that idea of, like, clarity and, and, and things to be succinct and, and very well-defined. And so often, Jesus would respond to people's questions by telling them a story, and then he wouldn't interpret the story for them. Or then he'd quote some obscure old scripture, and he'd go, go and figure out what this means. And you're like, that's not helpful, Jesus. You've got to give me three points, and they all begin with P, and then I can memorize them and just kind of go about my day. And I think Jesus was not a very good teacher because his agenda was different. His agenda was different than ours. For Jesus, when he taught, it wasn't about comprehension. It wasn't about us just getting it, getting this little nugget and then being able to, to pull it out of our pocket whenever we need to. It was actually about confounding us. It was about confusing us. It was about stirring us up. It was about getting us out of our normal, mundane, everydayness of our lives to begin to like, kind of see that there's something beyond, there's a thing beyond the thing. There's something behind the veil of the normal everydayness of life. And that's really what Jesus is trying to do in his parables. And I think, unfortunately, because of the modern way that we understand education and learning, we have misunderstood what Jesus' parables are about. We've taken a lot of what we've learned in our modern educational system, and we've just applied them to the teachings of Jesus. But I think this is very important for us to set as a standard as we're going through this series. Parables are not intended to teach us morals or helpful principles for living. Parables are not there for you to learn how to be a better person. They're not there for you to learn how to be more successful in business. They're not there for you to learn how to be a better friend. And I was even talking about this last week as we were wrapping up the Love and Translation series as we were looking at Paul in Athens and he's engaging all of these different philosophies in the world that said, maybe there's a God, maybe there's not, but if there is, God is not particularly interested. So our role is to figure out just how to be good people. And that was the very thing that Paul was addressing in Athens and saying, no, 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 this unknown God that you just kind of worship just in case he has a name, he has a shape, he has a desire for you. And life is not just about you being a good person. Life is not just about you being happy. It's actually about you pursuing this God with everything you are and allowing him to translate you, to transform you, to shape you, to be more like Christ. A lot of times we confuse parables with fables. The, the most famous fable writer of all time is perhaps Aesop, who was about 5,000 years, uh, 5,000 years, good grief, 500 years uh, before Jesus. Uh, you, you, know, you probably know many of his stories. One of the most famous brought to us by Looney Tunes was uh, the tortoise and the hare. Does anybody remember this story? Okay, so there's a tortoise and there's a hare, and they're going to have a race, and who wins? The tortoise. And what's the moral of the story? Slow and steady wins the race, right, exactly. It's a story, these, all these different stories by Aesop were very similar to parables. They were short, 
they had uh, you know, common everyday items, they had animals in them, but they were there to teach children good morals. How about another one, the ant and the grasshopper? Does anybody remember this one? So there's an ant, there's a grasshopper. What's the story with the ant? He stores up all this stuff. What's the grasshopper doing? Playing. Ugh, playing. What is that about, you know? We are supposed to be studious and hardworking, and we don't have time for games and playing. And then what happens? Winter comes. And the grasshopper, I don't know if he dies. It's implied, I assume. But he should have, yes, because there's no room for playing. It's all about hard work. But the fables of Aesop, were, they're good. They're, they're important. They teach us how to be moral people. And I think that there's a place for that, and that's valuable. That just has very little to do with Jesus' parables. That's not what Jesus is trying to accomplish. And so when we read Jesus' parables through that lens of looking on how to be moral people, how to be good people, we're going to miss it because we make Jesus' parables at the end of the day about us. And so the parables of Jesus kind of reduce this radical kingdom revelation down to moralism. And unfortunately, we make it more about ourselves than we do about him and what he's doing in mankind. I think this is really important to note when we're talking about the ministry of Jesus. Because guess what? You don't get crucified for giving people helpful pointers on how to live a better life. You know, fables don't get you killed by the authorities. There was something subversive. There was something wild. There was something untamed in the stories that Jesus told that threatened and shook up all the powers of the day. And I think when we understand that, then we see that the parables of Jesus actually fall into this pattern of everything that Jesus did and what we call gospel. You know, because of my job, obviously, every once in a while, someone asks me, what is the gospel? Um, and that's a really great question to answer, and I, you should all have very good answers to that question. And the way that I've answered that recently is like this. I think the gospel is kind of two parts. The gospel is this proclamation, number one. The gospel is a proclamation that says, Jesus is Lord, okay? That's number one. Gospel is a proclamation followed by an invitation to change the way you think. And so where do I get this? Believe it or not, this is biblical. Let's go to the Bible. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Great place to start if you're going to start with talking about Gospels. First chapter of the oldest Gospel. What does he say? The beginning of the good news, that's the word for Gospel, about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And so when Mark's writing his Gospel, he's saying, this is the beginning. We're going to start right at the beginning. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is Lord. And in Mark's day, the implication is Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. Because there's a very bold statement. That was almost a political statement that they're making, that there's this new reality. And so the Messiah means the anointed one, the king, the ambassador of God, the solution that God has to the, the human problem of brokenness and, and false power and authority. He says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Lord, the Son of God. And then the, it's followed by that invitation to respond to that proclamation. And so in Matthew 4, 17, this is actually the first words that Jesus preaches within uh, his ministry. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And as I've said many times before, we can kind of translate that into our modern language. Change the way you think because the reality of God is so close that you can reach out and you can touch it. And that's what Jesus is doing with the gospel. And so 
when we understand that as the lens, and I think Matthew puts that right up front for a reason, that everything that Jesus says and does unfolds that statement. Repent, metanoia, change the way you think. Come home because the reality of God, the new reality of what God's doing in the world to save it is here. And when we understand that, then it helps we recognize that the parables of Jesus are there to help us to repent, to change the way we think, to change the way we assume of what God is like and how the world really works. And and that's so powerful when we're looking at those parables as the explanation and the unfolding of the gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord, because then the parables really invite two main questions of us. Number one, well, what is the king like? What is Jesus as the Messiah? What's he really like? What is his heart? And number two, what is the kingdom like? If there's a king, he's got a kingdom. And what is the kingdom? What are, what are, you know, what are the expectations of this kingdom? How is this kingdom rescuing and redeeming us and welcoming us in to this new reality? And so those are really the lenses that we need when we're digging into the parables. And so how then do the parables of Jesus work? Parables invite us to peer behind the veil of the everydayness of life if we know what we're looking for and why. If we step into the parables of Jesus looking for moral lessons, we miss what he's really talking about. And we might actually just skim over the surface of them because many of those parables are very normal stories. They're about farming. They're about shepherding. They're about cleaning your house. These are not exactly, you know, blockbuster movie themes that we're working with in the parables. And so it's so easy for us to miss them because we're presented with something very ordinary and mundane. But Jesus chose this, again, as the way in which he wanted to open people up to the mystery of the kingdom. So in Matthew chapter 13, he's in, kind of in the middle of, of giving several of his parables, and he has this conversation with his disciples. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets, again, there, secrets, mystery, something that's hidden, because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's hearts have become callous. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, that's the word repent, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For I truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. And in verse 34, Jesus spoke all of these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. And so Jesus' response to his disciples is to quote from the prophet Isaiah, almost this lament of Isaiah that he's been given this message, he's been given this, this vision from Yahweh, and he's speaking it out, but nobody seems to hear it. 
And you can imagine how frustrating that must be for Isaiah. He's seeing kind of the brokenness of Israel, that they've lost sight of who they really are and who God is and who he's calling them to be. And he's kind of lamenting in this poem. It's like they they can't really see and they can't really hear because they have this hard-heartedness. And I think that should cause all of us to kind of sit up at attention when Jesus is warning us about hard-heartedness. And what does that mean? I think hard-heartedness is when we say, I'm not willing to change. I think the way that I see the world is exactly the way that it is. And I don't want to bring it into question. I don't want it to be challenged. I only want to be affirmed in how I believe that everything works. And when we enter into that place of, of stasis in our faith, We think we've got all the answers and we've already figured it out, thank you very much, and we only come to Jesus just to reinforce what we already believe, we're going to miss the kingdom. Because there's this journeying attitude that we must bring with us when we enter into the kingdom of heaven, not the least of which when we come into the parables. Because if we approach Jesus' teachings to merely reinforce what we already believe, we miss what he's really saying to us. If we believe our faith is just one and done, we prayed the prayer, we read the book, we're good, we're just biding our time until we die and we go to heaven, then we're going to miss it. And I think in that place, many Christians, many followers of Jesus become hard-hearted. We lose our sensitivity because we're so convinced that we're in the right. But Jesus' parables require of us to be open-handed and open-hearted, to have a humble faith, to never assume that we have all of the answers. But it's rather that spirit of exploration and curiosity that God has blessed us with that becomes the foundation of our faith. For my money, I think the parable of the prodigal son is the most important piece of scripture, that it becomes the lens by which we read the entire story of God. And it is genius. There's not uh, an element of that story, I think, that is frivolous. I think Jesus meant every part to be there. And as I've continually engaged with that parable of the prodigal that I've grown up with, that it's central to the Christian faith, it's continuously revealing these new facets of what Jesus is like, of what the heart of the Father is really like, of what the kingdom is really like. And if we understand that, there's almost this constant curiosity. God begins to continues to speak to us in ways that we never thought possible. And that that parable actually is kind of the foundation for our three foundational values: intimacy and identity and purpose that we spoke about in February. That we recognize it's through intimacy with our Father God, connection of being in His house, of supping at His table, that we begin to learn our identities as His sons and His daughters. We begin to inhabit that reality of sonship, of being His image bearers. And when we learn that at the table of our Father, as we learn to allow Him to love us unconditionally, our purpose, what we're called to do with our lives, is almost this beautiful byproduct that naturally arises from that intimacy. We want to tend the garden. We want to clean the house. We want to to minister to our brothers and sisters and to invite others home. And I think that that's so important for us to see that those come out of the stories that Jesus told us, not least of which is the prodigal. And so Jesus so often uses this little phrase when he speaks of the parables. He says, those who have ears, let them hear, Uh, which I'm pretty sure is everybody in here literally has ears, and my apologies if you don't. (laughs) 
Someday I'm going to make that joke and there's going to be someone here that doesn't and it's going to be really awkward. But Jesus is always saying, those who have ears, let them hear. And again, that's one of those things, like on the surface, we'd say, well, we all have ears. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. But what he's actually saying is, who, who is positioned to actually hear what I'm saying? Who's there? Who doesn't think that they've got it all together? Who doesn't think they've already figured it out? But who's open and curious and wants to explore? And I think parables show us that the kingdom of God is not easily contained or explained that it's a mystery to be experienced. There's this changeover that happens when we properly engage with the parables, and I think that's what it means for us to be the people that kind of hear. You know, we live in a society of instant gratification, that we want things handed to us very quickly. We kind of, you know, operate on that, that kind of Twitter mentality that I, I need the truth to fit into a, what's 140 characters or 280 or whatever it is, uh, we need the little succinct thing that we just tuck in our pocket and go on with our lives because we believe that truth is containable. It's easily consumable. And what happens so often when we have that attitude with Jesus and, and his parables and his teachings is that's what we're looking for. We're looking for the little instant gratification of what Jesus is giving us that we can just put in our pocket and bring out whenever we're having a bad day. But I think Jesus continually offends that sensibility within the modern era, that what he speaks, what he does, is not easily containable. It's not easily consumable. It's not easily explained. But he actually challenges, he gives us these riddles. He doesn't give us the answers. He makes us, heaven forbid, he makes us do the work. He's so mean. Why does he just tell us what it says? but he's continually challenging us to step into the mystery of the kingdom and experience it. The theologian Peter Rollins talks about parables as a discourse, as a discourse, and that the parables are not there for us to stay on the course we are, but the parables are actually there to send us spiraling off course that we might find ourselves on a radically new course. The parables are there intended to challenge us, to shake up our assumptions of how everything works. So who are those that have ears to hear? The next words that Jesus speaks after that repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near is the Sermon on the Mount. In the beginning, he speaks of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who. And he gives us these attitudes of people that are actually best positioned to receive the kingdom. And they're not the ones that have the degrees, and they're not the ones that have all the money, and they're not the ones that are very well adjusted to society. No, he says they're, they're hungry, and they're thirsty, and they're poor. These are the kind of people that are actually best positioned. These are the kinds of people that have ears to hear because they have no illusion that they've got it all together, that they know exactly what God's like, and they know exactly how the world works. But they're, because of the nature of their lives, they're in this position to receive the truth of the kingdom because for them it's actually good news. And I think this is the subversive nature of the parables of Jesus, that if you're not paying attention, you might miss it. If you're not paying attention, if you're not hungry, if you're not thirsty, if you're not poor, you're going to completely miss what Jesus is saying. I think Jesus is challenging us through his parables to wrestle with the content, to wrestle with God so that we can get to the really good stuff. 
And so once we peer behind the veil of the parable, the normal everydayness of life, Jesus invites us to pierce that veil to encounter the truth. Parables challenge us to action. How are we going to respond to the invitation to the kingdom of God? Every parable is challenging us with that same idea. It puts out there, here, this is the heart of the Father. This is what God is like. This is what the Messiah is like. This is what Jesus came to do. How are you going to respond to that? Are you going to change the way you think, or are you going to remain static? Are you going to come back home, or are you going to continue to choose to live in a kingdom of your own making? And Jesus' parables are offensive because they challenge us to, to say, are you going to respond to this thing or not? Because it's not true if it doesn't affect you. It's not true if it doesn't change you, at least not for you. But the people who are in the best position to receive that good news, the poor, the hungry, the oppressed, they're the ones that are entering into the kingdom of heaven ahead of us. So we have to do the work. We have to come back to the parables of Jesus time and again, and we have to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal something new to us there that we previously did not see. It's almost like holding uh, a diamond up to the light and slowly turning it, and the different facets of that diamond reveal a whole new dimension of something that we couldn't see when it was just flat and two-dimensional in front of us. This is why we need that spirit of exploration that we speak of so often in our community that we're never content with the succinct answers when it comes to the parables of Jesus, to his teachings, that we know there's always more there and it's gonna take us the rest of our lives to actually uncover the truth of what he's speaking to us. I think one more beautiful little uh, line from the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is kind of wrapping it up with. He says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. What a beautiful trajectory that that asks of us to step into mystery. If that is your first priority, to seek the kingdom of God, to seek his righteousness, if that is your single-minded pursuit in life, then all of the other things will be added on to you. It's not that God doesn't value when we're good people or when we're moral people or when we're happy people. But as Christians, we know that that's not the primary pursuit of our lives. The, the primary pursuit is the kingdom of God, that Jesus is his own reward, and that when we are single-minded in our pursuit of him, yes, all these other things will be added onto us, but not because we prioritize them, but because they are the blessings of the kingdom that we live in. I hope this excites you for this next series. As I've been praying about what the Lord wants to do this summer, I want our community to be a community that is known for its single-minded pursuit of Jesus. At the rest of it can burn up in hell. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, it's all secondary. If we were known as a community, if people said, oh, City Beautiful Church, that is a community of people that are single-minded in their pursuit of the kingdom of God at all expense of everything else in their lives, then I know that we've done the work. Then I know that we've learned how to be faithful. And so I want us just to take a moment, and again, we're citybeautiful.ch slash parables. Go ahead and take out your phones. I'm just gonna give you two minutes uh, to sign up for that. 
And I believe that as, as a community, as we rally around the parables of Jesus, as we have this open-handed, open-hearted faith, um, this humble desire to encounter him in the stories that he tells, he will recenter us. He will draw us deeper into the revelation of his kingdom and the mystery of who he really is. Just take a couple minutes and go ahead and sign up for that. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.